So what does Adam have to do with the resurrection? We have a sermon here called The Second Adam. And you're thinking, well, uh, we've been preaching in Genesis for quite a while, talking about Adam and Eve, and maybe pastor just forgot it was Easter and kind of switched to an Easter sermon. No, that's not the case. Uh, we are definitely talking about the resurrection. Uh, but as you're going to see, Adam and what Jesus did and his resurrection, these are tied together. And in order to really understand uh, the resurrection and what that means, we need to understand Adam and what he did. And in order to understand Adam and his role and what he did way back in the beginning, we need to understand what Jesus came to do. That there's uh, mirror truths that are going on here. So we are going to be looking at this. And of course, if you uh, are a guest here today, we're very glad to have you. And if you're in the area and it's possible for you to come back next week and keep being involved, we'd love to keep seeing you and to have you continue to grow in your knowledge and love of the Lord Jesus Christ with us. But we're going to start here. We're going to look at 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 is this chapter that's all about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's the most uh, kind of sustained uh, chapter in Scripture uh, about the theology of what happened with the resurrection. And so we're going to be looking at this a little bit. As you can see, our first main section is going to be 15, 20 through 22. But I want to back up just a little bit so we have this in context. And so I really hope that you'll take your Bible, open it up. If you have a pew Bible there, you can open that up to 1 Corinthians 15 so you can see this in context. You can see that I'm not just making this up. You know, anybody can put anything they want on PowerPoint. But this is uh, the truth that is in Scripture here. Paul had been talking about the resurrection. And he said at the beginning of chapter 15, he says, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, of which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Christ died, and he died for our sins in the place of sinners. But then Paul goes on, and he talks about Christ, he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he talks about people that Jesus appeared to. They appeared to Cephas, who is Peter, uh, the rest of the 12 apostles, and at one point to more than 500 people at once. And so the point he's saying is that this is not uh, just some legend. This is not some made-up thing. This is people saw Jesus after he died and he was risen. They saw him. And, and Paul is saying, I saw him as well. I'm telling you this. People saw him. This is not a made-up thing. Paul goes on and he talks about some people that said, well, there, there is no resurrection. And not just that Jesus was not resurrected, but some that say, well, this whole idea that people would be raised from the dead, uh, that just can't be true. Now, the Jews, a lot of them, they believed that at the end of time, there would be a resurrection, at least of the, the righteous dead. Uh, but some people didn't believe that, and they thought, once you're dead, you just stay dead. And that's probably what a lot of people in the world today think. You, this, is you, this life, enjoy it while you can. When you're dead, you go in the ground or something, and, and that's it. That's all she wrote. 
And Paul is saying, no, that isn't true. If that is true, then not even Christ is raised from the dead. And so in verse 16, he writes, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So there's a lot that depends on the fact, did Jesus really rise from the dead or not? And Paul is saying here that if Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead, uh, this is not just a bummer. This does not mean just the story didn't have its happy ending. This means that you and I, we are still in our sins. Now let me flip that around the other way, because this implies that if Jesus is raised from the dead, there's a chance that you, and, that you could not be in your sins. I think we all recognize deep down if we look at our hearts and we measure ourselves against God's word that we are sinners, that we are not right with God. And that's the reason why sometimes people want to you know, keep God at a far distance because they realize I'm not right with him and if he were to judge me, I, he's not going to like what he sees. But what if I'm able to tell you that there is a way that you can not be in your sins? That it's not a matter of, well, you start being good right now, even if that was possible, because you recognize, well, I'm still stained with all these sins from before in my life. And what am I going to do about that? But this is implying that there is a way that you can have it where you are no longer in your sins, but only if Christ has been raised. Otherwise, we're still definitely stuck in our sins. Verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. That's it. That's the end. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If this is all there is, if there's no resurrection, if there's no, nothing to come, that's a sad thing. You Christians, you have wasted your lives. Maybe you've had a little bit of, you know, a little comfort and sing your songs, but you've, you've blown your lives. You're to be pitied for this if Christ isn't raised from the dead. All right, now the verses I want to look at. Starting in verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So here you see this is the connection with Adam that we're going to be looking at here and how understanding Adam is going to help us to make sense of Jesus and the resurrection and what Christ did for us. But we look at these verses and Paul starts by saying, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. So there's some people that don't believe in a resurrection. Maybe they didn't believe that Christ was raised from the dead. But Paul here is proclaiming, this is fact, this is truth. I want you to realize that now this is the reality. These are the facts on the ground. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And this is what we also proclaim to you. This is what, as we sing these songs together, we are proclaiming to each other this truth. As we reply and say, he is risen, risen indeed, that Christ is risen. These are the facts, and I hope you believe those truths. Now we're going to try and see what these truths mean to us. But you know, for so many people, man, Easter is not about this. I was at a store this past week, and I saw there was, you know, I looked over and there was a, a guy in an Easter bunny suit. 
because uh, it was the kids could come and they could take their picture with the, with the Easter bunny. And it just took me back. Not that it should have been a surprise, but just it was a sobering reality to realize that for a lot of people, this is just, this is all that Easter is about. You know, it's a cute little springtime celebration and you, you know, hide your eggs and talk about the Easter bunny and eat chocolate and th- that's it. Now, if you're hiding eggs and doing fun stuff with that, that's, that's great. We're going to do some of that this afternoon. It's family tradition. Even when my kids are big, they still want to do that. Uh, but they know that that's not what Easter is about. Easter is about Jesus. Easter is about Jesus Christ who came for us and died on the cross and is risen. And these are the facts and these are the things that we need to focus on. So don't let other things get in the way of that. Uh, even family, we've got to make sure that this is about Jesus Christ and the truth that he really is risen for us. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. This is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Uh, what does that mean? So first fruits in the Old Testament, when they would have harvest, uh, they would give an offering of the first parts of the harvest. It was the first fruits. So you had the beginning part of the harvest that came in and the, the, the first things that they would uh, that they would take, but there was more that was to come. And so what we're seeing here, calling Christ the first fruits, implies that he is the first to be raised from the dead, but there would be more that would be to come afterwards. He was just the beginning, he was just the start. Now, if you think of scripture, you may think, well, aren't there other stories? Jesus raised people from the dead, so weren't they first? Um, yes, but No. Because although some people were raised from the dead by Jesus, we know that they were just kind of resuscitated back to life. I mean, they were dead and Jesus brought them back and it was, those were miracles that proved that he was who he said he was. But they came back to just a normal, regular life and they died again. They're not still around, still alive. Whereas Jesus, when he came back, he was raised imperishable. And that is the resurrection that, uh, that we have to look forward to as well. We come back in a whole different way. That not just being brought to, back to life like this, but to a different type of life. So Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. And this is a reference here in Scripture. It's a euphemism for believers that have died. And it's uh, used this way in Scripture quite a bit that um, believers, uh, they're dying, it's, it's like falling asleep. Not that we go completely unconscious or something like that, uh, but there's something different about the death of someone that is in Christ versus someone that doesn't know Christ. But there is going to become a time where there is, uh, when a believer dies, we know that they go to be with the Lord, but there is a future, there is a future resurrection that is yet to come. So that's verse 20. Verse 21, Paul explains this. It starts with the word for, which means because. So now he's going to explain why it is true that Christ is the the first of those um, who have died to come back. It says, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in, in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. So, we think about this. There's a parallel here between Adam, what he did. He was the first man. Okay, so in the book of Genesis, you read that, we see that God created Adam and Eve, and it starts, he creates Adam first. 
and then he creates Eve from Adam's rib, and so Eve is connected to Adam, and all of us, we trace all back to Adam. So we think of Adam, uh, we're gonna see here there's a parallel between the first Adam, uh, who is Adam, make that simple, make that clear, and the second Adam, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But the first Adam, we go and we read the book of Genesis, he's created, God breathes life into him, and he tells him, hey, if you obey, I've given you all these trees to eat from, this is a great thing, you're created, everything is good at this point. They said, don't eat from this one tree, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or else you're gonna die. And it, we're gonna see, if, if you stick around and you come back, uh, when we get to Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve, they're tempted. And spoiler alert here, they blow it. They end up listening to uh, the devil through the serpent. Uh, they end up believing his lies. They end up uh, disbelieving God's goodness. And they rebel and they eat this forbidden fruit. And it has this effect of plunging the whole world into sin. That it affects not just Adam, but it affects everyone that comes after him. See, Adam that he disobeys God. There's disobedience, and the disobedience brings death. God had told him that uh, it would result in death. Now, he didn't drop dead the moment that he ate this. He actually lived quite a while after, uh, but death was now infected into humanity, into Adam, into Hall's relation. Adam was going to die, he started dying, and spiritually, he died that instant. He was cut off from God in his relationship. At first, he and God, they walked together, they were close, but after that, there's that rupture. And so you had all these different types of death that came about. But it didn't just affect Adam. It affected everyone that came after him as well. So all those that are in Adam, we talk about mankind, Remember, mankind, we shouldn't think of this as something that, well, it's, it's sexist to say mankind. Adam literally means man. So theologically, when we talk about mankind, what we mean is Adamkind. That you and I were part of Adamkind because we all are descendant from Adam, whether you're male or whether you're a female. And so we're all connected to him, and therefore, his action of sin, of disobedience, has effects on all of us. It has been... Uh, we're connected to him biologically. So there's a sense where things have been passed down to us. But there's also a sense that what he did had legal ramifications for all of us because he was what's considered to be the, well, the head of the human race. And so you think of like the, the head of a business or an organization, and they can make decisions that are going to have an impact on everyone that's part of that company, everyone that's part of that corporation, that body. Uh, we know that that can be true with you know, being a part of a country. And a leader of a country makes a decision and affects everyone that's in that. And so in the same way, when Adam sinned as our representative head, it affected every single one of us. And everyone that would come after Adam and Eve, all the way down to us. So this is bad news that we are all guilty also of the sin that Adam committed because he committed it as our representative. Now, if you're thinking, well, that's, a, that's an unfair deal, because I wasn't there, um, and 
I shouldn't be held accountable for that. I want to tell you two things. Well, <laughs> one, you know, we sin every day as well, so we can hardly complain, you know, because you and I, we, we sin. We don't do what we ought to do. We do things we shouldn't do. If we're just thinking of the big sins that are out there, uh, maybe you can try to pretend that you don't sin, but there's heart sins, sins of omission, all these different things, and we sin every day. But the other part we're going to see is if you think it's bad to be held accountable for the action of your, the head of the group and you say that, well, that can't be true, well, that eliminates the possibility of a savior because when we look at this message, we're going to see that uh, Adam is the, he's the first head, he's the first Adam. And if this is all that there was, this would be a terrible thing because it means we are all toast that we are all dead with Adam. We are all condemned with him. But the good news is that God sent a second Adam. He sent a second Adam into this world for us. And we see this in this passage that we're looking at. For in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So this second Adam is Jesus Christ that he is one that has come to, he's going to undo the damage that Adam did. He's going to create another option that if the only option was you're on team Adam and you're going down in that ship, Jesus is coming to make a, a second option, a second kind of sphere that you can be either in Adam or you can be in Christ. And your status before God your eternal destiny all depends on which of these circles you are in, which you are a part of. We start life, we are in Adam. That is where we are born into. But now there's this other possibility that Jesus Christ has come. And Jesus Christ, instead of disobeying God, he obeyed. So Adam had his disobedience, but Christ had his obedience. And so instead of death coming through Adam, we see it says here that in Christ, all will be made alive. Now how can everyone be dead and how can everyone be made alive? We're going to see what this means. It all depends. It's everyone that is in Adam or everyone that is in Christ and you're either in one or the other. When it talks about death, it's not just talking, as we said, about physical death. That is part of it. Part of the ramification for sin in this world is that we do physically die. Now, Jesus, he never sinned on his own, but when he went to the cross, he took on the guilt of sin for everyone that would believe. He took our sins upon himself as he hung there, became legally guilty for us, and he died for them and then was raised to eternal life. In Romans chapter 5, we see another passage here that Paul also wrote that unpacks what is going on and gives us even more light into this. So let me read this with you as well. Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come, and then I'm going to skip a little bit into verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, that means sin, 
death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one, man's, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. First of all, in verse 14, it says there that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. We say type, we use the word type and we think, oh, it means you're just, you're a kind of, you know, there's a, a it's, it's a variety of something, but type in scripture is something that was very, had a specific meaning. It's a Greek word, it means it's typos. That's where we get it from. But think of this, when you learn to type on a keyboard, we use the word type as a verb there, you're typing. Uh, but actually, any more these days, our typing does not actually involve any type. Because originally, typing was because you did it on a typewriter. So think of like way back in the day with like the Gutenberg press, you know, first they had movable type, you know, where you had little, um, little blocks that had the letters on them and they would put them on the thing and those were called type and they were put on and then you could stamp and print your thing. Later on when you had a typewriter, those little things were put on keys. So if you're old enough to remember a typewriter, uh, you press a button and it flips a lever and it hits a ribbon and it takes, you would have a little, it would look like a backwards looking E and it would hit the thing and it would make a correct E on the page, okay? And so a typewriter was called a typewriter because it had type they used to write. So a type was a pattern. And so this is saying that Adam was designed by God. This was something that was from the beginning that designed to be a pattern of one that would come. And that Jesus, in a sense, fulfills who Adam is. He's like him in many ways, but also different in some ways. In some ways, he's the mirror image, uh, whereas Adam was disobedient Christ was obedient. So in this passage, it explains this a little bit. At the end, it says, verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, Adam's disobedience, the many, everyone was made sinners. But by the one man's obedience, Jesus, everyone that's in him can be made righteous. So we see their disobedience and we see obedience. But look at the words also in verse 18 there. Therefore, as one trespass led for condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. So we have to explain a few things there. Adam, it was just kind of one act. It was his sin, his uh, disobedience. Now, Eve was the first person to eat the forbidden fruit, but she wasn't the one that was assigned as the the representative head of the human race. And so the Bible actually pins the fall, pins all of this, the sin and the consequences, specifically on Adam, not on Eve. So it's his fault, he is the one to blame for all of these ramifications, all of the sin, all of the fracturing that came into this world, all of the dysfunction, all of these effects that took God's good creation, just warped it and mangled it. That's on Adam. It's a pretty big deal for him to be responsible for. 
uh, that you, re- you wrecked the world, that Adam literally did that. So he did that, it was one act. When he talks about the one act of obedience, um, well, the one act is really Christ's whole life because it includes both him coming down in obedience to allow himself to be born of a virgin, and then he lived a perfect life. He fulfilled God's law completely, did everything he was supposed to do. He never gave in to sin, never gave in to temptation, even though he was tempted. And then he allowed himself to be nailed to the cross, to be put to death. And he knew that was going to happen. He knew that when he came into this world, that that was his destiny, that he was coming into this world to die for sinners and to do this. And so by what Christ did, uh, each of these brings either condemnation or justification. A while back, I bought myself a gavel, not because I lead meetings with this, but so that whenever the word justification comes up in a passage, I can use this to explain. Condemnation and justification are opposites. Okay, condemnation is when a judge condemns somebody that's guilty. And the judge says, I declare you guilty. And so a righteous judge, if he knows somebody's guilty, he declares them guilty because they are guilty. So you and I, we are sinners. We have fallen short of God, uh, his requirements. We have actively disobeyed. We, We are guilty before him. If you measured yourself even just by the Ten Commandments, honestly, we'd realize, yeah, I'm guilty. But through Christ, you can receive a different judgment from the judge, the God of the universe. That instead of him saying guilty, instead, justification. Justification is the opposite. It says, God says, I declare this person to be righteous. Not just that you are innocent, but that you are righteous. That's a positive thing. Because when God justifies a sinner, it is a legal action by which God is the judge of the universe, says, in my eyes, legally and reality, that you are no longer condemned, you are no longer guilty of your sins, but I declare that you are righteous, that you have not sinned, that you, instead, that you are good, 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 that you have fulfilled all the things, that you are a righteous person. You think, well, how can God do that? I could understand how a good judge could condemn me and say I'm guilty because I get that. I recognize I got sin in my life and in my heart. But how could a good God who knows the truth say that I am innocent? What, all those things are just gone? That I fulfill God's law even though I know I haven't? The reason that could happen is because of who we are united to. If you are united with Adam, if you are in Adam, if you are in that sphere, that we are guilty of our sins. But if we are in Christ, we are united to him so that his good acts are credited to you and so that your sin is imputed to him so that he takes that, he took it on the cross. He paid for your debts and gives you the gift of his perfect life. And so we see in those words that in Adam there is condemnation. If you remain in Adam, if you remain in that circle, 
it is being remained in this view that the judge of the universe is guilty. But in Christ, there is that opposite, justification, declared righteous. If you're writing your notes here, by justification, write the words declared righteous, because that's what it means. That if you are in Christ, that is what is true of you instead. One thing else I want to draw attention to, looking back to Romans chapter 5, notice that it says in verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Notice here that it says that this is a free gift. It uses the word grace. That is how salvation is given to you and I. It is not something that we earn. It's not something that we can earn. Grace means free gift. And it says here it's a free gift uh, to be received. And you have to receive the free gift in order to have the free gift. You have to turn to Jesus Christ in repentant faith to accept what he has done for you or else we remain in our sins. But this thing that we're going to tell you about, this opportunity to switch sides, to switch teams, to come from being in Adam to being in Christ, this is not something that you earn. This is not something that there are trials for. There's not auditions for this. It's not that God is only going to accept, you know, the best, you know, 50% or 10% of people. This is a free gift that is open to everyone because it has been paid for by Jesus, not by you, but it is offered to you to receive. So we see here already that in Christ, instead of death, there is life, being made alive. You're made alive spiritually at the moment that you trust Christ as Savior, and there is going to be future resurrection to come. That as Christ was raised from the dead, one day you will be raised from the dead as well. Remember, he's just the first fruits. Instead of condemnation in Adam, there is now justification in Christ. And I want to look at, look at one more passage back from 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to see that, we'll put it this way, in Adam there is, there's corruption, whereas in Christ there is, there's transformation. Look at these words from 1 Corinthians 15, 45 through 49. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So it's two things. This reminds us back to Genesis chapter 2. God breathed life into Adam after he formed him out of the dust of the ground, and it says he became a living being. So <laughs> Paul here is saying, uh, okay, that's what happened with Adam. Which, by the way, all this means you've got to believe that Adam and Eve were literal people. If you believe that Christ is a literal person, you've got to believe that Adam and Eve were literal people. These two things, are, they're parallel to each other. But also notice here that it talks, it makes it very specific here of Christ being, we talked about the, there's a first Adam and there's another Adam that was to come. You could say a, a second Adam, 
uh, but it also talks about him here specifically as the last Adam. And I think it's important to think of both of these. It means that there's not another Adam that is to come. You have two options here. You can remain in the original Adam, or you can transfer over to be in Christ. But there hasn't been lots of different options in between. Okay, Christ isn't the uh, 147,000th Adam. Okay, and there's all these different options that you have. You're either in Christ, and that's where we're born into. That's our default setting. Or there's, praise God, the second option to be in Christ instead. But there's not going to be another option that comes after that. He's not, you know, the, the latest Adam, but just hang on. If you don't like this, you know, there's going to be another model coming out in a few years. He's the last Adam. So there's only two of these different options, two of these different heads of the human race. You're in one or you're in the other with everything that is attached to it, everything that comes with being united either with Adam, Adam, or Christ as the second Adam. And then the passage goes on. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from earth, a man of dust. He was made from the dust of the ground by the Lord. The second man is from heaven. Jesus descended from heaven. That's where he was for all eternity before he became a human being because he's the eternal son of God. Now get this. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So this is referring to something that is, that is future. That if you are in Adam, that you, there is a transformation that will take place. A transformation that is also already taking place the instant that you trust Christ as Savior, it refers to you as being born again, that your heart is, is made new. You're being transformed by the Lord from the inside out. You know, if you look in the mirror and you think about your life and there's things that you are embarrassed about, things that you just wish were not true about you, things that you see that are defective, not just in your body, but in your, in your, your spirit, your actions, your way of thinking, those are things that Christ came to undo those things. Those are the things that Christ came to say, that is not the real eternal you. That is not the, the man or woman that he created you to be. That he'll take the, the real you and transform you into the man or woman that he really did create you to be that is like Jesus Christ. That is, is made good, that is made right, that is made whole in him. In this life, we'll never get there. Uh, he starts that process after saving us, first thing he does, he declares you to be righteous in his sight. Okay, so salvation is never because he, he has transformed you first. He, by his grace, declares that you are righteous in his sight from the beginning because of what Jesus did for you. But now he starts that work of transforming you. And so, Christian, this is your, this is your destiny to be like, to bear the image of the man of heaven, the image of Christ. And so, yeah, anything in our lives that we see that it's not like Christ, those are things that we want to 
get rid of. With God's help, to put those things to death, to remove them, to take them off, to not say, well, this is who I am. No, that's the old me. That's the old you. That's not the part that you're taking to heaven and into eternity. You want to jettison that stuff, that junk, and instead grow to become the person, the human, the man or woman that God created you ultimately to be. And that is your future. That is your destiny. And one day, we're because of Christ and because of the, the transformation to come that you stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ without shame, that Christ took your shame upon the cross and that he's transformed your life so that you're with him, that you're whole, you are made renewed, you are good in his eyes. Again, because you are in Christ. So there's this transformation. See, things in here, they're past, present, and future. That if you are a believer, you have already been justified. You are in the, the process of being transformed and made new. And one day that will happen. And there will be a resurrection from the dead. Where just as Christ's body was raised, your body will be raised as well. And put back together and made whole again. Because Adam was made to live on this earth. And we were made to also to live with a physical body. We just live in a world that has been corrupted. But Jesus came to repair all of this. But it matters which of these that you are in. And so a question I need to ask you is, are you right now, are you in Adam or are you in Christ? There's one or the other. There's no third option. There's no in-between. Everyone is in one or the other. And we are all in Adam by default. That is our default setting when we come into this world. But the good news of the gospel, of the Bible, is to let you know that you have the opportunity to switch teams. You have the opportunity to switch circles. And it's not by, you're going to try real hard to be a good person, you're going to try to turn over a new leaf. There's no human ceremony that you can do that makes this happen. There's no amount of money that you pay to have this happen. But it is by God's grace and it is received through faith and faith alone. And through faith, what happens is that believers then are transferred out of the one circle, out of being in Adam to now being in Christ. Where instead of death, condemnation, corruption, Everything that's true about Christ is, is imputed to you because you are united to him, being made alive, justification, transformation. Remember in Romans, it said, for those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. These are the facts. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Are you in Adam? Are you in Christ? If you are in Christ, his death on the cross was your death, and so your sins have been paid for. If you are in Adam, his righteousness becomes your righteousness, and that's why the Lord can right rightfully say that you are righteous because you're connected to Christ. And if you are in Christ, his resurrection will also one day be your resurrection as well.
But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for what Jesus Christ has done. Thank you that you provided a second Adam, that whereas the first Adam disobeyed, that Jesus Christ, as the second Adam, has obeyed in full. And Lord, we thank you for the good news that there's possibility of, of switching sides, switching teams, switching circles. And so that instead of having condemnation and everything that was true in Adam, we have everything that is true of Christ by your grace. For those here that have received Christ as Savior, we praise you, Lord God. We thank you and help us to live in that. And Lord, for anyone here that is not sure where they are, anyone here that looks at their life and realizes they are still in Adam, still in their sins, Lord, I pray that you would cause them to believe in their heart and that in repentant faith that they would trust you, Jesus Christ, as the one that died on the cross for their sins. That even before they leave this room, they would call out to you and, and say, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are. That you are God. That you are God come to this earth. And that you paid for my sins in full on the cross. And Lord, I want to be united to you. I want to be in Christ. I want the things that are true of you to be true of me by your grace. And I believe and I turn to you. I turn away from Adam and I turn to you, Jesus Christ. The Lord is my Savior. Lord, be at work in people's hearts. Bring salvation to those that need it. Give transformation. May everything be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.